0: Why is there something rather than nothing? How did I get here? Why am I here? Those are some of the big questions of life that people in their own ways are trying to answer. As they look around at the reality of creation. They see the universe and they see our planet and the stars and the moon and the planets. They they, they think why is the the, the the universe here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why am I here? How did I get here? What's my purpose for existing? Those are the big questions of life. And it might surprise you that the answer to those big questions can be found right in the middle of the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity, if we understand it rightly from God's word, will begin to answer those big picture questions for us and for a world that's desperate to know those answers. So keeping that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1, the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, the first verse of that chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I want to talk to you this morning about the Trinity and creation. The Trinity and creation. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. took me a little while longer to get to the pulpit this morning, but it looks great up here, doesn't it? Our, our folks did a tremendous job uh, getting the stage ready and the other parts of the building ready for VBS. We are expecting hundreds of kids here. We've got a small army of volunteers, and we just can't wait to see what God does. You'd be praying for... Vacation Bible School, and again, thanks to all that have been working so diligently to uh, to get the stage ready, get the building ready, and to get everything ready for Vacation Bible School. It looks awesome. Now, now just just in reality, some of you need to work on your motions a little bit. Um, I, I was standing in the back; it was pretty weak, pretty weak. Uh, so, if you need to, you know, work on that, you can come during the week and and sing the songs with us. All right, Genesis chapter one, verse one. The Bible says, "In the beginning, God." created the heavens and the earth. And then fast forward down to verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause this morning to declare once again our desperate need for you. You are the one true God. You are infinite. You are glorious. You are awesome in power and might and splendor. And Lord, we are finite. We are fallen. We deserve nothing from you but wrath. And yet you have made a way for us to be forgiven. You've made a way for us to be reconciled. You've made a way for us to come into a personal relationship with you. And that is incredible. We're so grateful that because of the finished work of Jesus, we can call you Father. And we're here to lift you up. We're here to exalt you. We're here to worship you. You are the center of attention. May all glory and praise and honor be to your name today. And Lord, would you help us in this moment as we study your word? Would you, by your spirit, open the eyes of our hearts so we would see the truths of scripture? Would you anoint me as I preach? And would you anoint the hearers that your word might not just be heard, but that your word might grip our hearts to transform us? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you and we lift this prayer up to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, thank you. You can be seated. The doctrine of the Trinity answers the big questions of life. And I want to show you that this morning as we talk about the Trinity and creation. But before we get into the meat of the sermon, I want to remind you of our working definition This is a kind of a summary definition of the doctrine of the Trinity. I've tried to show you the past couple of weeks that this definition is a biblical definition. Uh, But I want to show you this working definition once again so that we understand what we mean when we say the Trinity. The Bible teaches that there is one true God eternally, that's important, eternally existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. The Father, the Son, and the The Holy Spirit. That is our working definition of the Trinity. One God, in essence, and nature, existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. And we've unpacked that definition biblically. We've talked about where some people have gotten it wrong through human history and even get it wrong in today's time. Uh, We talked about that last week. And in in the rest of this summer, this summer sermon series, we're going to talk about the relevance, the practical relevance of the Trinity for our lives. This morning we're going to talk about the Trinity and creation. Next week we're going to talk about the Trinity and salvation, then the Trinity and sanctification, the Trinity in reading your Bible, the Trinity in prayer, the Trinity in mission. So we're going to see how the doctrine of the Trinity affects those different areas of our lives. But this morning I want to give you three considerations concerning the Trinity and creation. Three considerations concerning the Trinity and creation. Fascinating stuff. I think you're going to like the sermons. Fascinating stuff that we're going to study together. The first consideration deals with divine community. Divine community. So wait, what in the world do you mean by divine community? Well, I want to answer this question. What was God doing before creation? Now we know there's a universe out there, but there was a time that the universe did not exist from eternity past. And the question is, what was God doing then? Because I've said to you over and over again that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have all eternally existed. They've all been around forever. So what was God doing before there was a universe? What was God doing before there was humanity? What was God doing before there was a, a sun blazing in the galaxy, the solar system. What was God doing? Well, I want to show you what God was doing before creation. First of all, there was glory before the world began. There was glory before the world began. I want to show you this in John chapter 17. John 17 is a precious chapter. I think uh, a couple of summers ago, I taught through John 17 for our summer sermon series. But I love this chapter because this chapter is all about prayer. It's Jesus God the Son praying to God the Father. And so it's as if the curtains of glory have been pulled back to to allow us to see this divine communion between the Son and the Father in prayer. And I want you to notice what Jesus says in John 17, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, the words to the disciples on the night before he was to be betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, it says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hours come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you." So he's saying, "Listen, the time's come for me to be betrayed, arrested, tried, beaten, crucified. And so that time is coming. Would you glorify your Son, exalt your son as he fulfills the work you sent him to do? Verse two, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this, Jesus says, is eternal life. Here's what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just living forever. Look what he says. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When I was nine years of age, I heard the gospel from my pastor at my dining room table. I saw my need for a Savior as a, senior, as a sinner who had sinned against a holy God. And I called upon the name of the Lord and I was saved. At that moment, of nine, at nine years of age, I entered into a personal relationship with God. I came to know God. And that knowing of God, that relationship with God that started at nine will go on forever, unbroken even by death. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Then he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence, now watch this, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so Jesus is saying, would you glorify me as I glorify you, just like uh, things were happening before the world ever came into existence. So what was happening before creation God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all glorifying one another. That's what was happening. And so glory was happening before the world began. You say, Wade, why would God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit spend all of their time from eternity past glorifying each other? Listen, because each of the persons of the one Godhead are worthy of glory. They're worthy of worship. They are are limitless in their perfections. And so there's one God existing in three persons, and the three persons in the midst of that triune Godhead have been eternally glorifying one another. And so there was glory before the world began. Also, there was love before the world began. Look what it says at the end of John 17. Jesus is closing down this prayer and look what he says in verse 24. This is so interesting. He says, Father, I desire that they also, talking about his disciples, not, and not just his disciples that walked with him on the earth, but all of those that would believe on Jesus through the message of the disciples, which means us. That's what he's talking about in John 17. He says it a little bit earlier in the prayer. Father, I desire that they also, all the believers in this room, that they also, listen, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. In other words, I want them to be in heaven with me, in my Father's house with me, to see my glory that you have given me, because, watch this, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before there was ever a universe, Jesus shows us here that the Father was loving the Son. And we know, of course, that the Son was loving the Father and the Spirit was loving the Father and the Son. There was this this love relationship, this this community between the three persons of the Godhead from eternity past. So it's not like there was just blackness before the world was created, before the universe was created. God was there and God was, 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 was existing in perfect harmony between the three persons of the Trinity. I like how Tim Keller says it. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. It's not like God was deficient when it comes to his existence in eternity. There was profound happiness and joy in the midst of that divine communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So wait, I don't understand that. Well, welcome to the club. I don't understand it, but the Bible reveals it. So we got to say it. This is what was happening before the universe existed God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally existing in a perfect, glorifying, loving relationship with one another. Let me sum it up for you like this From eternity past, God exists in perfect, joyful, all sufficient, underline that word sufficient. All-sufficient communion between the three persons of the Godhead. I want to share with you one of my favorite quotes about the Trinity. It comes from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards taught in his writings that God has forever known himself in a sweet and holy society. That's another word for community. A sweet and holy society as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So before there was a universe... God was there. And guess what? God was doing just fine before anything was ever created. Living in infinite, profound joy and happiness in the midst of that loving communion in the triune Godhead. Isn't that awesome? It's an incredible thought. Now, Jonathan Marlowe, a theologian, was seeking to illustrate this this divine communion uh, within the three persons of the Trinity from eternity past. And he used as an illustration Greek weddings. I don't know if you've ever seen a Greek wedding or been to a Greek wedding. Maybe seen a movie about a Greek wedding, I don't know. But at Greek weddings, there was a distinctive way of dancing. There is a distinctive way of dancing. Often there are not just two dancers, there are at least three. And If you watch these dancers, they start to go in circles, weaving in and out in this very beautiful pattern of motion. They start to go faster and faster and faster and all the while staying in perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. Eventually, they're dancing so quickly yet so effortlessly that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur. Their individual identities are part of a larger dance. The early church fathers trying to study or trying to understand the doctrine of the Trinity from eternity past thought about this dance, this this Greek dance called perichoresis. They said that word applies to the Trinity, The the three persons existing simultaneously, yet one existing in perfect communion and harmony. That's what the Trinity is like. The Trinity is a, listen, a harmonious set of relationships in which there is mutual giving and receiving. This relationship is called love, and it's what the Trinity is all about. Hey, 1 John 4 says that God is love. Listen to me. God could not be love if he were not Trinitarian. Because from eternity past, if God were all by himself, who could he show love to? But the one God exists in three persons. And so the one God could express love between the three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so that picture of of, of three people at a Greek wedding dancing in perfect harmony is a picture of what happened uh, in the Trinitarian relationships from eternity past. And so before the world was ever formed, there was divine community. God was there doing just fine. Everybody got that? Now, let's look at the second consideration uh, uh, related to the Trinity and creation. Let's talk about divine teamwork. Divine teamwork. Over in Genesis 1-1, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. And if I asked you, uh, just on any given day, if we ran into each other at Walmart, and I said, who created the heavens and the earth? You would probably say God in in response to Genesis 1-1. And then down in verse 26, it says... As God is speaking, let us create man in our image. One God, but there's a plurality of persons there. Let us create man in our image, and so we know that there was more than one person involved in creation. So, what role did the the triune uh, the, the, the the persons of the Trinity? What role did they have in the created order? Let me give this to you. This is really fascinating. First of all, the Father. Was the initiator of creation. The Father was the initiator of creation. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 6, Paul's writing here. He says in the midst of this discussion about how Christians should handle food that's been offered to idols, long conversation in 1 Corinthians and Romans about this. Look what he says in verse 6. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And so Paul's clear here. From the Father comes all things. And so that means that the Father, the first person of the Godhead... Is the initiator of creation. But what about the Son? The Bible speaks about the Son of creation. What was his role? Well, the Son was the agent of creation. The agent of creation. Look at there in verse 6, same verse. There's one God the Father from, notice that preposition, from whom are all things for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. And through whom we exist. So creation comes from the Father, watch this, through the Son. Jesus Christ had a very active role in creation. From the Father through the Son. He was the agent of creation. This is not the only verse that speaks of Jesus' role in creation. For example, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the Bible is clear that God created the world through the agency of Jesus Christ. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds, Jesus does, the universe by the word of his power. Hey, why are we here today? Because Jesus Christ, through whom all things are created, is now upholding creation by his power. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? John 1, 1 through 3 says this: In the beginning was the Word. Love this passage. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Two persons here called God, the one possessing the one essence of Godness. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made. Through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So God the Father initiated creation and he created through the agency of the Son. You say, wait, what did that look like? I have no idea. But it's just what the Bible says, right? It's what the Bible says. And so the Father was the initiator of creation. The Son was the agent of creation. So what was the Holy Spirit doing? Was he sitting on the sidelines just kind of watching it all unfold? Arms crossed? No. The Bible teaches the Spirit had a very definite role in creation. For example, turn over with me to Genesis chapter 1. Back to that wonderful passage, Genesis chapter 1. If your heads are hurting, say amen. Hey, by the way, I'm glad we worship a God that makes our heads hurt. Amen? We don't worship some shallow small, insignificant deity. We worship the one true God who simply spoke and the universe leapt into existence. He's big, he's glorious, he's majestic, he's beyond finding out. We, we can't know him fully, but because of the word, we can know him truly. I'm glad of that, aren't you? I'm glad to have a God that makes my head hurt. Genesis one one. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, notice this, and void, and darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, there he is, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now what does that mean? Hovering over the face of the waters. So God speaks and there's, there's a, a world there, an earth there, but it's not in completed form, and the Holy Spirit is hovering over it. What, what is that all about? Well... Uh, the word hovering conveys the idea of a bird sitting in a nest, hovering and brooding over her eggs, uh, caring for the new lives. The same word is used to describe how an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young in Deuteronomy thirty-two, eleven. And so the spirit here is the... Is the Energy of creation, he's hovering because he's preparing to bring life to the created order. Just like a, a, a mother hovers over her eggs to bring forth life. That's why he was hovering, getting ready to do that. And so the spirit hovering is God preparing to bring life into the world through his spirit. So not only did the spirit hover, the spirit breathed. Look what it says in Genesis 2-7. Remember, God said, let us create man in our image. So God formed Adam From the dust of the ground. And look what it says in Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Uh, That word breathe and the phrase breath of life is the Hebrew word ruach, which could could be translated wind. It could be translated breath. It could be translated spirit. And so this, this, this divine breathing is the Holy Spirit breathing life into the first man, Adam. So wait, I'm not convinced. Well, look with me over in Psalm 33:6, or just listen to Psalm 33:6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath, the ruach, the spirit of his mouth, all their hosts. So wait, was the Spirit really involved in giving life? Listen to Psalm 104, verses 24 and 25. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. I'm surrounded by creatures this morning, right? Earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable. It's a great verse for VBS. Living things both small and great. Now, verse 29 and 30. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So it's saying God gives life to the, the the animals, the created order. Then he says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. And so when God takes away breath, animals die. When God gives breath through his spirit, animals live. Life comes into being. And so the spirit was involved in Breathing on the created order to bring forth life like a, like a mother hen brings forth her chicks from the eggs. So let me say it like this. The creation is from the Father, through the agency of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or let me say it like this. This is in your notes. The Father spoke. By the way, isn't it awesome that God can create simply by speaking a word? How incredible is that? If you don't think that's incredible, go home and sit at your dining room table and say "food," (laughs) and see if anything appears on your table. All right. The Father spoke. Listen, the Son formed through the Son, the Spirit breathed. The Father spoke. The Son formed. The Spirit breathed life into what the Son formed through the. initiation of the Father. Millard Erickson, the theologian, says it was the Father who brought the created universe into being but it was the Spirit and the Son who fashioned it while the creation is from the Father it is through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about lightning bugs. This uh, past week we were driving around we were actually in in uh, St. Louis and just a quick, uh, quick side note uh, we were able to represent you at the Southern Maps Convention this year so thank you for sending us we had a great week and You'll hear some more about that in the coming days. But some encouraging things are happening among the Southern Baptist churches in our nation. Uh, but we were in St. Louis driving around trying to find a place and there was this little patch of, you know, most of the city is concrete. There's a little patch of grass at uh, this corner and we were at a red light there. And we looked over and it was just about dark and the grass was just covered with lightning bugs. I wish. I guess they couldn't find another place to to congregate. And so they're all there on that grass and just real low uh, and it was just beautiful. I mean, there were hundreds of just lightning bugs lighting up. And I said, kids, who made lightning bugs? Where'd lightning bugs come from? Who, who, who could think of lightning bugs other than God? So here's, I think of lightning bugs and the roles of the persons of the Godhead in creation. God said, I want lightning bugs, right? He spoke. And, and the sun crafts those lightning bugs, the agency of the sun. And then he steps back and says, Holy Spirit, it's time for you to do your thing. And the Spirit breathes, and the lightning bug lights up and has life. Now, that's a small example, but that's, that helps us to think about how all three persons of the Godhead are active in creation. And so we see here that, that there's divine community in the Godhead from eternity past, and there's, there's uh, this, this divine creation, there's this divine teamwork between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was studying this this week and the song just kept coming to my mind. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And sings my soul, my, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. God is great, and God made the heavens and the earth, initiated from the Father through the agency of the Son by the life-giving, breathing power of the Spirit of God. That's incredible, isn't it? Now, we're talking about the big questions of life. Okay, I get all that way, but why? Why did God do that? Why did God make the universe? Why did he make Adam and Eve and and me, why? Why are we here? What, what's the point of it all? These are big picture questions. And listen to me. There are people in your family, people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood that are trying to figure this out, people in your schools, people in your classrooms. They are trying to figure these big picture questions out. So this next, this next piece is so important. We've talked about divine community and divine teamwork, but let's talk about divine purpose. Why did God create the world and humanity? Let me give you three reasons these come all from the word of God. Number one, to display his glory. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens, the created order, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Listen, if you don't spend some time in your life looking at the sunset and walking out in the the evening and looking up and just caught up in wonder at how many stars are in the sky, if you don't spend some time just looking around, you're missing out. You are missing out. It is our job to look around and to admire God's handiwork and help our kids to admire God's handiwork. Why? Because they were created to proclaim his handiwork, to declare his glory Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and a circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. And so Psalm 19 says when you look at the created order, you see God's handiwork, you see God's Power. You see God's attributes. You see God's glory. That's why he created them, to show us his greatness. So if you don't look around at creation and admire the greatness of God, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. That's why it's there, to display his glory. It's like a, a gifted artist that wants to, to, to paint a painting, to display, so people can enjoy the beauty of that, of that painting is a, a display and God has put his greatness on display through creation. The divine artist has spoken and what we see all around us is his beautiful work. So he created everything to display his glory. Number two, why did God create the world and humanity? To make much of his son. To make much of his son. Look over in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Important passage here. Colossians 1 verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn there does not mean that he... Came into existence at a point in eternity past. Jesus Christ has always existed. The word "firstborn" there means preeminent one. Over in Psalm eighty-nine, the Bible calls David the firstborn of his brothers. It doesn't mean he was the youngest of. I mean, the first, the oldest of the brothers. He was the youngest of the brothers. He was the firstborn because he was given a place of preeminence over the brothers, given the kingdom. And so here, Jesus is the firstborn, the preeminent one of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things created through Christ, his agency, and all for his glory to to make much of Jesus. That's why God created over in Ephesians 1, he speaks of his divine plan being summed up in Jesus. And so God the Father has chosen To make much of the Son through creation. Creation is meant to point us to the one through whom creation was made. To make much of his Son. But here's the third divine purpose and we'll be through. This is where it gets really interesting. As we think about the big pictures of life. Big picture questions of life. God created to open up his circle of love to others. Turn back with me to John 17. John 17. Verse 24, we read this a little bit earlier. I want to show you what Jesus goes on to say. John 17 verse 24, "Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me before you love, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me." Now look in verse 26, this is so fascinating. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known, watch this, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You know what Jesus is saying there? Father, you know that love that you and I in the Spirit have enjoyed for all of eternity past? I want people to experience that love. I want people to experience you loving them. The same way, Father, that you loved me. And how much did God love his son? Remember, he spoke three times. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so Jesus is saying when people are redeemed, when they are saved, they are brought into this love relationship it's as if the, the, the Trinity, this divine dance has opened up its circle of community and welcomes us in. Now that's incredible. And that's what salvation is all about. It's God opening up the circle of his love so that we can enjoy that same depth of relationship that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit enjoyed from eternity past. And a lot of people think that Christianity is a checklist of do's and don'ts you do enough good stuff and your good kind of outweighs your bad, then God will he'll accept you. A lot of people think that Christianity is a, is a moral code. It's something you've you got to perform. You've got to do the right thing if you really want God to like you or to love you. Hear me carefully. We don't do good things to work our way into God's favor. God has done it all. Jesus Christ paid it all when he went to the cross and died on the, on the cross for our sins. And he defeated death when he rose from the grave. The finished work of Christ is why we can have a relationship with God. We don't work our way to God. We can't make it to God. We're sinners. We're separated from God. So God came to us and he saved us by his grace. So Christianity is not this code of, of, of things you do if you want God to like you. God loves you. He loves you. And if you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcomed in to this love relationship that has always existed between Father, Son, and Spirit. You get to experience the love of the Father the same way Jesus did and is. You get to experience the love of the the Spirit the same way Jesus did and is. You get to experience the love of Jesus the same way the Father and the Spirit did and are. Amazing. So God created humanity to open up this circle of love and invite folks in to experience it. All for his glory. I love this quote from Fred Sanders. He writes, God is God in this way. God's way of being God is to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit simultaneously from all eternity, perfectly complete in a triune fellowship of love. The good news of the gospel is that God has opened up the dynamics of his triune life and has given us a share in that fellowship. The triune God is a love that is infinitely high above you, eternally preceding you and welcoming you in. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. They are welcoming you in. To a perfect, joyful, love relationship. Nothing on earth can satisfy but God's love in your life. And God welcomes us in. One thing I enjoy about traveling overseas, mission trips. And and this is true in all cultures uh, that that I've uh, been to. People are so welcoming. They're so welcoming. I mean, if you if you if they meet you, they want you in their home. They want to serve you tea. They want to bring out whatever food they have. I mean, they are so welcoming. And, and when you're traveling on that, you gotta you gotta be careful to to, to not offend people. You wanna you wanna say, okay, uh, yes, I'll make time for this because if you don't accept their welcome, they're they're offended by that. It's the kind of culture that they they live in. What does it say to God when he says to us, I made you to find me, Acts 17. Acts 17, Paul preaching about the Lord says, God didn't create things because he needed anything. He's not served by human hands. He didn't need us. He created everyone so that we might grope for him and seek him and find him. He made you to have a personal relationship with him. He is welcoming you in to love. Think about that. What does it say to God when you say, no thanks, not interested, I'll do my own thing, I'll find love and fulfillment and somewhere else. I'll find joy somewhere else. Listen to me. If you're looking for joy and love and peace and fulfillment anywhere else other than a relationship with God, you will look in vain. And you will get to the end of your life and you will say, I've wasted my life because there is no love. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no fulfillment. There is no purpose. There is no meaning other than knowing God through His Son Jesus Christ. And so God welcomes you in. So why did God make us? Why is there something rather than nothing to display His glory, to make much of His Son, to open the circle of love to others? So here's the point we'll be, th- we'll be through. As we think about the Trinity and creation, we should marvel at the creative power and purpose of our triune God. We should marvel at the creative power and purpose of our triune God. Hopefully, when you walk outside at night and you look at the stars or you see the sunset or you see the sunrise, you'll never think of creation the same. You will marvel at who God is, what he's done, and why he's done it. He's done it ultimately for his glory and to welcome you and I in to perfect, unfailing love.